Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1. We're going to start there. I'm going to bounce around a little bit. But I, I want to... We're ambassadors of another world. We are ambassadors of a world that we often cannot see. But everything that Jesus did, there was, you could measure it. So when he healed the sick, he said, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto thee. And, and so he cast a demon out. He multiplied food. It was measurable. But he pulled on a world that he couldn't, you couldn't always see. And so it's our role, it's our privilege, really. It's our privilege to figure out what that world is like and bring it here. That's as simple as it gets. He, prayed your, he told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done where? Here, as it is there. So what's that world like? That's our job. That's our job. That's our privilege as sons and daughters. And yes, we're disciples, we're warriors, we're all of those things. But the end product, the thing that we never outgrow is we never outgrow sonship. Ever. And so one day in heaven, you'll get there. There won't be apostles. There won't be prophets. There won't be evangelists. There won't be teachers. There'll just be sons and daughters. And so it's our job as, 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 I'm going to use this language today just to kind of illustrate it. But the Bible says that we are the priesthood of all believers. This is the gospel of all believers, priesthood of all believers. And then he invites, he invites not just a priest to stand in front of God and be a mediator, but he invites everyone to be a priesthood of all, that we would be a priestly people. And priests have roles. Priests have roles that they, they do. And priests have roles. You know, it's the, it, it, God pours out his, his, his glory, but it's our role to keep, to steward that well. You know, he's given you free will. Right? There's two trees in the garden for a reason. There's the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There's the tree of... There's two trees. Obviously, there was more trees than that. <laughs> but there's two trees there because if we don't have the ability to choose God, then it's not love. If we don't have the ability to not choose God. So he creates two trees in the garden because we have to have the ability to not choose him and to choose him. Otherwise, it's not love. And you and I have been given the honour and the privilege to figure out what that world is like. And the perfect example we have is Jesus. He's the perfect example. There won't be another one. <laughs> Hebrews 9.28 says he's not coming back a second time to deal with sin. Because he dealt with it the first time. Georgian Banoff says it this way, if you only get free of sin when you die, then death's your saviour, not Jesus. Ooh, I like that. And so here, but li listen to this, Hebrews 1 verse 1. And I'm going to talk about one, because I don't know if you remember, but a couple of weeks ago I spoke on the practical outworking of sanctification. 
that we've been perfected in Christ and now we practically get to outwork it. Because the kingdom of God should look like something. <laughs> it should look like something. shouldn't just be theory and, and more knowledge that puffs up. It should actually manifest in your life. It should actually look like something. And so, listen to this. Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our, our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed to be heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. All right. That word exact, it comes from the word uh, character. Character, character, it comes from the word where we get character from. I can't remember the exact Greek word. But if you picture this as a stamp, if this is a stamp with my beautiful kids' stickers on there, and I stamp, and, and this is my seal that I have, this is my seal that I would stamp a letter with, and I stamp that stamp onto a piece of paper with my seal of approval and I remove it, it is the exact imprint of this stamp. That's what that word is. So Jesus is the exact imprint. He's the exact. He's the exact picture of what it looks like. And Hebrews is all about it. The writer of Hebrews, I think it was Barnabas, but that's just... I don't know who it is. We don't know who it is. The writer of Hebrews is, is written quite priestly. There's a lot of priestly language in, in the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at it in a moment. But Jesus is the exact imprint of God. So it's settled, church. It's settled. What is God like? He's like Jesus. That's it. It's settled. You don't have to, the mis, Ephesians, it says, the mystery has been revealed. The will of God has been revealed to his saints. Come on. People are confused about the will of God. They're like, I don't know if I should. It's been revealed. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And what did he ta- tell us to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your will would be done. And there's an attribute of the kingdom and there's an attribute that Jesus talks about and there's an attribute that the church by and large has missed because uh, especially here in our culture we have this thing called the tall poppy syndrome and I just want to go after that a little bit this morning and I want to smash it because the opposite of the tall poppy syndrome is, honor, is a culture of honour. And now I'm not preaching this so you would honour me more. You guys honour well. All right, so I'm not, this isn't a message of like, you guys need to honour better, you need to honour me, or you need to honour Dean. That's not what I'm talking about, okay, because you guys honour really, really well. But I want to I paint a picture in a way that um, you'll, you, you'll track with me, you'll see. All right, so Jesus is the exact imprint. All right, so there's two things that in Scripture that Jesus does that are really priestly. One is he forgives sins. 
when Jesus comes and they said, who has the right to forgive sins? And he says, so that you know I have the right, I say to this man, pick up his mat and walk. That is a priestly thing that he would do, right? That's a priestly thing. The second thing, that there's, there's plenty, but the second thing that we, do, we know is on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus goes up to the mountain and he shines, right? And he has Moses and, and right? That is, that is when he says the exact radiance of his glory, that, that's a priestly thing. Jesus was shining. Remember, they'd go into the temple and they'd glow. Moses, his face shone. That's where we get that priestly language from, Right? You and I should shine with the glory of God in such a way that people would look at us and say, oh, I, want, I want what they have because these people love, they honour, they just radiate the kingdom of God. Amen? All right? Uh, I, I probably normally would get passionate. This is the level I'm going at this morning. And so you and I... We have the privilege and the honour to bring that world into this one, to confront sin, to confront sickness, to confront the powers of darkness and to take back what the enemy has stolen, right? And so uh, there's this great story that I love um, when, at our time in Reading. There's drive-through coffees. And this person went through the drive-through coffee and they said, hey, I want to pay... I want to bless the person behind me. And then that person drove through and then they said, oh, that's amazing. What a gift. I want to bless the person behind me. And then that kept happening. Five hours. Five hours. I want to know who the person was that messed it up. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They released, the, they released heaven's perspective on something, generosity, that brought about an atmosphere of generosity. Right? Jesus comes to town and he, he reads Isaiah 61. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach, to do this, to set, bind up the brokenhearted, to release captives. And the people in that town in the synagogue they went hang on isn't this Jesus don't we know this guy isn't this Mary's son isn't this Joseph's son don't we play games with Jesus and it says they could do no mighty miracles there because of their unbelief right that's just what it says right we have a problem with unbelief but that's what it says their honor for who he was Shut down. It didn't shut down God. You can't shut down God. <laughs> you can't. But we've been given free will. And God allows us. He says, I don't want to just do things for you. I want to do things with you and through you. And I will withhold myself because I want to co-labor with you to bring about heaven on earth. So I will shut. I will not shut down, but I will, I will stand back and I will wait. For you to honour me and honour people correctly so that I can pour out my spirit in such a way that it won't be ruined. He's, he's a person. He's not just a vending machine. Yeah? So 
Nazareth shut down Jesus. Says he couldn't do any mighty miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people. That'd be a good day for most churches. <laughs> right? But we're going after mighty miracles. Romans 12, 9. If you go, if you go there, actually I'm going to get... Um, Romans 12, 9. And read, read down to verse 14. Benny, do you want to... Where's the mic? Go to the mic. Ben, do you want to read it? Read Romans 12, 9. Yeah, awesome. 12, 9, just down to verse 14. If you want to use my Bible, you can. No, that's right. no I'm just joking. <laughs> um, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves, never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Thanks, mate. Did you catch it? Hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honour. Outdo one another in showing honour. I'm telling you right now, the way we honour people, I'm going to do two parts to this. The way we honour people, the way we honour the Lord. The way we honour people is so important. I don't have to agree with the person's lifestyle, but they are created in the image of God. And the way that I, and when I'm standing in front of someone, they might be living the most debaucherous lifestyle that can be possibly lived, but they are God's image. They might annoy me to all get up, but they are made in God's image. What did Jesus say in 2 Corinthians 5.17? I'm going to just bounce around a little bit. He said, do not count their trespasses against them. I have given you the ministry of reconciliation, not not counting there. Come on. The way we see, honour and love doesn't mean I necessarily agree. We've got to get this. I'm telling you, we've got to get this. Because the world, the world right now is so flippant confused, right? But so is the church. The church is confused. So you've got the world confused. And then you've got people going, well, I'm confused in all different areas. I'm not just speaking about one. All different areas. They're like, I'm so confused. Right? And they're like, oh, I'll go. I don't know where to go. I'll go to a counsellor. I'll go to this. I'm not against counsellors. I'm not against doing that stuff. But they go and then they, they come out more confused. And then they come to the church and they're like, oh, maybe the church. And the church looks exactly the same as the world. And we've got to be okay to be like, hey, do you know what? I honour you and I love you. Just because it's who you are. I'm going to outdo you in honour. I'm going to outdo people in honour. When I'm in a restaurant, wherever it is. Right? We're not, I'm not. That's a priestly attribute that you and I get to partake of. When we're looking at a person in front of us. and we get to, they, they treat us incorrectly. And we're like, oh, those bloody... Nah, nah, nah. I nearly swore. <laughs> 
right? Listen, listen to this quote, and then I'm going to invite Clinton up to share an awesome story. I've tweaked a Danny Silk quote to make it my own. In a culture of honour, because the Bible says that you and I are called to be heralds of righteousness. We're an ambassador of righteousness into the world. We've been given the authority to change atmospheres. We've been given authority to bring that world into this one. Right? There's a, 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 I'm going to sidetrack slightly. Actually, no, we're going to leave that for now. In a culture of honour, heralds of righteousness will lead by courageously treating people the way God sees them, not according to the flesh. Come on. The church for too long has been known for what they're against more than what we're for. Right? Now, I'm against some serious stuff. I'm sure a lot of you are. There's some serious evil in our world. We, I don't need to tell you that. You guys know that. But focusing on the problem will only perpetuate the problem. Focusing on the solution will bring about redemptive nature. Prison ministry is built, the American judicial system is built on the Ten Commandments. You guys know that? Which is awesome. But it's not redemptive. It's not redemptive. It's, it's just to keep people safe. And there's a place for that. But what if the church, what if this house started to change the way that we relate to people who we disagree with? Who's had a disagreement with someone in their life? Okay. <laughs> who's, ever been, who's ever been confronted with something in their life? Come on. Right? The way that we honour and the way that we talk about people, the way that we, do you know, the amount of conversations I have with pastors and leaders, I'm telling you right now, it breaks my heart. No one you know. The way that Christians talk about their brothers and sisters in the faith. Oh, do I disagree with a lot of people? Absolutely. Have I had disagreements in theology? Absolutely. Have I had disagreements about how political stuff? Absolutely. But I'm looking at a person that's created in the image of God. And I might disagree with them on every single aspect. But the way that I honour them, the way that I love them, and the way that I talk about them when they're not there matters. All right, Clinton, why don't you come up? Yeah, give it up for Clinton. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, a little uh, story on honour, but just first during worship, the Lord um, just put on my heart to start with this and the word on outdo one another in honour. I feel well and truly outdone when I look around this room. Um, and the Lord just put some people on my heart and just, just to touch on and trains to talk to you. You bring your whole heart out before you and you give everyone your whole heart. It's such an honour. John and I, you gave up half your house for six months and all that means for your lifestyle. Such an honour. 
you. Dan, the way you love people, mate, is just loaded with honour. Solomon, your hugs, epic honour. They heal like father wounds, man, your hugs. Fabian, I know you're new in the Lord, mate. Your capacity for honour is like crazy. Your capacity for honour is crazy. It's a weapon, man. Really cultivate it. Jeff, you always lay yourself so low that you can't help but feel honoured around you. And yeah, I get the privilege of experiencing this from time to time, but Danny, mate, when I, I get to work with you many, many days and honour can be shown at times and I know I, I've got so much room to grow in honour, but to be with someone that does it so consistently, whether we're at the $40 million mansion in Turak or the, the Portsea Beach House to the, the, the wacky ward of the nursing home in the, in the dementia area, whether it's to an animal, whether it's just to that little extra clean-up of someone's property that wasn't really necessary, your honour is another level, mate. It's a real privilege to get to see. So thank you. So who hasn't had one yet? Can you put... Oh, okay. I, I better move on. Um, Holy Spirit, would you just come and be in this story? These people have come, they hunger and they thirst for you, they want to encounter Jesus. Please don't waste anything, please don't let them be left with me. You know their hearts, would you come and touch them with what you want them to hear? In Jesus' name. Um, just wanted to share briefly this story. This is way before I was a Christian. Um, Liam and I were just catching up one night and this story came out and he said, oh, you've got to share that at church. And I was like, oh, really? Out of all the stories? So I was new to the workforce. Uh, there was a, a pretty uh, wealthy establishment that was very prosperous. Um, it was, you know, the sort of hotel, cafe, sort of bar, sort of trendy, the, the highlight of the town. Um, and I sort of fell backwards into a job there. Um, and when I got this job, we, we knew of the owner because he's just one of those prominent guys in society. He's got the, the rich place on the, on the lake and all the jazz. And you sort of know of him, but I didn't really know him. Um, so I start working there as a young fella, running a few coffees and trembling and spilling little bits of coffee over the edge and learning all the little skills. And days were great. People were great. It was a really vibrant place, picking up some skill sets, good people to work with. And then occasionally the boss would pop in. And the whole atmosphere would just change. Um, he, he had a really good mind for business. He had a really poor bedside manner, I guess might be the best way to describe it. So he was super critical. He would watch over people, a bit of a helicopter, come in, blah, 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 and out again. And the whole atmosphere would just change. Um, and so before I sort of got to see that for myself, I'd hear the other staff talking about... Uh, the boss in this way, and it was a pretty big place, so there might be 30 staff on at the time, and you could just start to see these little pockets talking about this man, and I don't, know, I don't even know why, like I didn't know Jesus or, or anything, but I just felt like not to get in that, and so when they started talking, I'd just go change the bin, or when they do this, I'd just move over and do that, or, and I don't know if they 
eventually just learnt to stop, but I never really got to stand around and hear those, those things. But when he came in, you'd know about it. So you'd be doing something, he, Clinton, my friend, Clinton, how are you, Clinton? And he'd put his arm around you or something and just fully patronising and the whole demeanour was like sickening a bit. And then he'd give you a job and ask you to do the thing that you knew you didn't want to do that would probably have a level of humiliation or something about it and just the way you deliver it. And I'm like, I really like the job, I really like the people I get to work with, it's close to home, it works perfectly for uni, the flexibility, it's like a pretty cool spot to be. Um, I gotta make this work, like, that was sort of probably the best approach I had really, like I don't think there was any, any real heart for honour or something, I don't know. Um, but. I made a decision though when he'd be like that with me that I'd just do what he asked well, I guess. And so he'd say, I guess I'll get to this part. So the, the hardest job in this place was seating, right? To do the greeting and show people to their table because we would have 150 seats, but we'd often book in about 220 people. And so you just had to make it work. And so I loved seeing the people that did that well. And I thought, I want to get this thing down. I don't know, I just wanted to get good at it. So I'm like, can I have a go at seating? I want to do it. So you start picking up some skills and learning how to move people around here and that and swap and give these guys some drinks, let them wait. And you're sort of in charge of the atmosphere of the restaurant for the night, I guess. Um, and the people that are going to have the biggest problem are the people that's table aren't ready and they're impatient and all that sort of stuff. So you're sort of managing the biggest thing, but you get the greatest opportunity, I guess, to, to set the culture or the atmosphere. And so what would happen is invariably you'd be getting to about 7, 7.30 and suddenly everything's start to work out. You've switched this and that. I feel like this is going to happen. And then the boss would come in after his day on a fishing trip. He'd probably have had about 14 beers. He's caught a fish like, you know, every time. And he's got the 12 buddies, and they've all had equally as much to drink. And they're now going to come and take table 17, the, the table that people would book two months in advance because it's just the table you want. And on a Saturday night, we'll double book that table and just try and make it work. And he's just going to come in at the prime time when the restaurant's full and you've got four groups waiting and just say, Clinton, my buddy, how are you? And turn you around to face his friends and say, you won't disappoint my friends tonight, will you? We're after table 17, Clinton. Would you be able to make that happen? Thanks, buddy. Like that, and then walk off. And you'd be like, I now have to disappoint this group, that group, go and stop this, leave them to their own devices to go and make this happen for the boss. And so... He was a really good operator in many ways, but he'd sort of shoot himself in the foot a bit with his business, I guess. And then he'd take the big fish out to the head chef, who's just preparing 220 meals, and say, can we cook up the fish? We're going to be down there. We'll have it in about 20 minutes. And so he could just, yeah, he'd do that. He'd do that thing regularly. So I'm doing this thing, and I saw good friends quit, another good friend quit, another one quit. I can't work under this. I saw girls go and storm out and and the mascara on the way out and not coming back. Um, and yeah, after six months, it's just I started getting really good at this seating thing and I just started to like the challenge and then you'd start catering for it and go, right, Peter's going to come. I know he's on a fishing trip. He's going to be in here and he's going to do his thing. So, all right, we know that's coming. How are we going to do this thing? So I'd give away more free drinks to the other people. I'd probably start bending the rules a little bit the other way. Um, and... 
And then one night it all changed. He goes like, and he would fully humiliate you in front of his friends and say, Clinton, we're not going to with this, are we? We're not going to, Clinton, come on, Clinton. And he'd be doing this and the whole restaurant would be listing, you know. Um, and then one night I'd given away, I used to give away maybe about $100 worth of drinks just to help people get into the right, like to soothe, smooth things over. This particular day, I think I gave away about $220 worth. I'm just like, right, he's destroying this night. I'm just going to make sure everyone else is happy. And he comes up to me a bit later and he goes, Clinton, didn't see too many complaints with the tables tonight. Look pretty busy. And yeah, it was pretty busy. He goes, why not so many complaints? I might have taken a few liberties on the drinks. And he goes, clever. And then walked off. And I was like, oh. Okay, so there's a bit of license here for this thing. And from that day, things changed. Uh, the next weekend, I'd booked a, a weekend off for like a month in advance because I was going to go down to Melbourne um, with her girlfriend at the time. We we're going to go out and have a nice meal and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, Clinton, next Saturday. I said, no, I can't. I've taken it. I've booked it off. I've worked every Saturday night for eight months. Like, I am taking this one off. I've already made plans because he'd just make you work whatever, like, and he's the kind of guy it was really difficult to say no to. But he was very personable in another way, sort of. I know that must sound confusing. But I said, I'm having this Saturday night off. He goes, yeah, 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 that's okay. Opens his wallet, gives me $200, says, there's a good restaurant down there in this suburb. I reckon you should check it out. I'd be interested in your thoughts on it. And, oh, okay. So took the money. And then every week, every fortnight for the next whatever, it's go down to this winery, here's some money. Why don't you go have a nice meal out here? Have you got anything this Sunday? Have Sunday off, go do this. And I started to realise that I'd just broken through with him and he had some stuff going on in him that was fairly unresolved and fairly unhealthy. And his defence, I guess, was to test people out and they'd either break or they'd pass the test. And so... Yeah, I just trust Holy Spirit's going to put something in there for you because I don't know exactly what it is that, that's coming from that. But if I could just add this. Um, honour looks like a lot of things. Honour looks like a whole lot of things. Matty Pilcher, sorry, you're another one. The Lord, All those Thursday night prayer nights, man, and outreach, and your service is honour, man. So it looks like a whole lot of things. But what the Lord's really putting on my heart today about honour is patient endurance. It's like if we had a conference on patience endurance, on patient endurance, who's coming? <laughs> come on, let's celebrate patient endurance. Let's all come to a conference. It's like, do you know when the Lord like commended the churches in Book of Revelations? Four times he said for their patient endurance. For their patient endurance. So it's easy to honour people when things feel good. But that's if right. it is that character that's difficult, if it is the person that rubs you the wrong way, patient endurance seems pretty high on the Lord's list, I reckon. And that's something I ask for his grace for still, I can, I can tell you. That's good. And a very final thing, kids. There's a quote, it's a worldly quote, but it's of heaven, I'm sure says a man never stood so tall as when he knelt down to speak to a child mm. and I just think how we treat kids Amen. oh that's a measure of your honor because they have no nothing in this world that can compete with your level you know how do you treat them same with hospitality staff how do you treat yeah. them when they come around 
People that are on a worldly system in our culture lower than you, how do you treat those? How do you treat that sort of batty, half-crazy person that always just rubs you the wrong way? Do you honour them? That's good. So, and the last one, just to finish off. Um, Kent, He's a preacher. Kent, your kids, your kids honour parents really well. When your family comes into this church, the atmosphere changes. Your kids honour you guys really well. It's beautiful to get to see. So, Lord, would you teach us to be a church of patient endurance? Would you help us to boast in our weakness? so that you can come in power and we can honour people well because we can't do it in our own strength. Just pray that you do that in our hearts, Jesus. In your mighty name. Amen. Awesome, mate. Come on. So good. All right, we're going to do this in five minutes. John Wesley and George Whitfield were two people, they were opposites in belief. And when asked, Whitfield, uh, Whitfield was asked of Wesley, no, sorry, Wesley was asked of Whitfield, will we see Whitfield in heaven? That's how strong it was, Calvinist, Arminianist. Wesley said, no, you won't. He'll be closer. When Whitfield was asked of Wesley what he thought of Wesley, Whitfield said, my ministry hasn't stood the test of time, whereas Wesley's, it will last until eternity. That's, the, that's where the Methodist movement got birthed out of. Honour breaks something, as you just heard with Clinton. 1 Peter 2, I'm going to just brush through these, but 1 Peter 2 says that you and I are a royal priesthood. Actually, it, it says, let me just read it properly. The other week I actually preached and I said 1 Peter 2 and it was actually 2 Peter 1. So apologies, this is 1 Peter 2. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. He goes on, he says, you once were those people in darkness, now you're people of light. So what's, the, what's he saying? You're royalty. You're a royal priesthood. You're chosen by God to bring the light into darkness. Abraham and Isaac, that story, I was going to read it, we don't have time. But Abraham and Isaac, when Abraham sacrifices Isaac, he's giving God everything that he has. Right? And it says there was a ram caught in the thicket. In Genesis, it's in Genesis 22. There's a ram caught in a thicket. That word, the ram, is the word oak of righteousness. That's what it means. So I want you to think, I want you to think with me because we're going, to fin- we're going to finish on this. The way we honour people comes from the way we honour the Lord. It doesn't come from, oh, I've got to honour people more. 
Just trust me. You, the, the whole phrase of you're so heavenly minded that you're earthly insignificant is a, it's an oxymoron. If you're so heavenly minded, you'll be earthly incredible. That tall poppy syndrome thing of like, if people succeed and we cut them down at the knees, that's not the Lord. He's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So he rewards. And when we honour people, we're honouring them into their rightful destiny. Are you catching it? Because that's what, that's what priests do. They, they, but priests, Hebrews 8 says that Jesus is the mediator in a sanctuary not made of human hands. That's where we got the name from. So Jesus is our great high priest who's a mediator in the sanctuary unto the Lord. Right? In heaven. So here we have Abraham sacrificing Isaac. God provides the sacrifice and he says, this is an oak of righteousness. What does Isaiah 60 say? Or Isaiah 61, that we're the planting of the Lord, oaks of righteousness. Right? Often in church life, I've been in churches and probably you have too, where the leadership and it's well-meaning, it's super, it's, it's the heart behind it, I get it. But they'll say things like, we don't want to have too long of worship because we don't want to offend new people that come into the church. Or we want to do certain, the way we do church, we want to cater for non-believers and things like that. And I get it. I get it. What about not offending the Lord? What about if Jesus walks into the temple in, in Nazareth and because of our familiarity with the world system, we don't honour him, which brings about unbelief. Because we've been called oaks of righteousness. We've been called priesthood of all believers. And our first position as a priest is to minister unto the Lord. Is to minister unto Jesus. Is to behold his face. And to say, we honour you. And whatever you do, we will do. Whatever you say, we will say. And I believe... If we hold those two things in tension and we honour his presence as he walks into the room, I know he's in us, but he wants to reward those who would diligently seek him. He wants to give the kingdom to people who seek first the kingdom. So don't be surprised when the kingdom comes. <laughs> right? So, but it's, it's this posture first. It's the posture of absolute adoration of his presence. I wrote this story oh, years and years ago. And um, it's a story of a mansion. I'll read it to you. There's a huge party in a beautiful mansion. You can tell there is a crowd having a great time. Laughter, glasses are clinking, confetti everywhere. They're celebrating the miracles of Jesus, enjoying the wine, the healing, the joy, and the party, which is awesome. Jesus, however, is sitting outside on a bench in a beautiful garden at a pond. He's sitting quietly in the dark. 
Only a few join him quietly on the bench, enjoying his presence for who he is, not worrying about what he can give them. Knowing that the true miracle is intimacy with him rather than the miracles. They're awesome. We go after them. All of a sudden, I saw a guy yelling from the party, Hey, Jesus, we need some more wine and a foot to be healed. This is too often how the church all over the place feel about God. He's the vending machine or the genie in a bottle. As opposed to just being with Jesus, seeking him first, and then all of those things will happen as well. Don't preach the gospel because of what people will get. Preach it because it's himself. Jesus himself is better anywhere, anywhere, anytime, and than anything. The priests would carry the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. When Jesus came up out of the water, the dove rested and remained on his shoulders. And you and I are called priests, royalty, not so, for, not, not so we can just be like, look at how good we are. We've been given that mandate to honour the Lord and to release it out into the world and to honour and love people who don't deserve it because that was you and I at one point. Why don't you stand? <clears throat>